Hi, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Whether you're watching a video or listening to a podcast, please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. Links to videos or MP3 files can be found on MiamiGhostChronicles.com or go to MarlenePardo.com for information on new book releases. I narrate several podcast series that can be found on major podcast platforms and can also be listened to via Alexa, Sonos, and other home systems. Look for Supernatural Storytime for scary storytelling, Nightshade Diary for classic horror and adventure stories, Stories of the Supernatural for interviews with different guests on the show. If you want to get noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime, conspiracy stories, and anything that is just plain weird, you can visit Stranger Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com or find us on Blogspot. I want to thank you for being part of my audience, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi, everybody. It's Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles Stories of the Supernatural. How's everybody doing today? Good, I hope. Everything is good for me here. Um, as I said before, uh, it's it's Halloweeny time. It's my birthday month, and my birthday just passed... Uh, what is it? A week ago, I lose track of times. I know there's going to be a little bit staggered, and maybe some of you will hear it by. Let me think, by Halloween. But either way, yeah, yep, yep. And uh, I gave in today. I gave in today. I always complain that they're trying to bring make Christmas too early. It's like, hello, can we just stagger this a little bit, like in Halloween, you know, autumn, Halloween, Thanksgiving, and then Christmas, and of course, nah. So I gave in, I gave in because what happened was when I moved up here, I got rid of all my Christmas decorations. I didn't have that many because I had dwindled some stuff. Let's see, let's face it, all my kids are grown up. You do a lot of stuff when you have children. But anyway, I it was so overwhelming, all the stuff that we had to move that I got rid of everything. And I said, you know what? I promised myself that once I'm there, I'm going to get all new stuff. And when we got here, um, basically... Thanksgiving of last year, it was forget it. We were living out of box. It was too crazy. So this time it was, I was able to buy all my Christmas stuff all over again. Um, it was, uh, you know, nothing big, you know, smaller trees, but I got some really like pink stuff. And <laughs> it's like, it's supposed to be red and green, but it's like, no, it's Marlene's Christmas version. So I got some pink, some pink decorations, a lot of cute stuff, you know, um, so yeah, uh, that's what I did today. I gave in, even though it's only what October. I said, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna get what I like because I know the way it works is you like it, you go back to get it, and of course it's gone. So anyway, and of course, as far as Chicken World is concerned, everything is good in Chicken Kingdom. Like I told everybody, I'm not uh, I'm not gonna let anybody hatch chicks because it's already the cold weather starting to set in. It drops down into the 60s, 50s at night. And I really don't feel like putting chicks in a brooder. And uh, I know that some hens are really good, but I just don't feel like going through that again. Um, I did, like, I think I mentioned it last time, I did lose two of my last batch of chicks. Two of them I lost to hawks. I'm thinking it was a hawk. Um, even though the other day I saw this cat just just amble along across the property, just, just walking. And it's really funny because all the chickens are going around them and he's just just walking along and it's like oh 
All right. I wonder if it was you because there were, uh, even though the, the chicks weren't that small, but they're bantam. So in and of themselves, even when full grown, they're smaller. So I don't know. I don't know. Let's see. But anyway, that's where I'm at with that. And one thing I did want to mention to you guys, um, if you want to, uh, you can sign up for my newsletter. I have a weekly newsletter that comes out. And in it, I put, you know, some interesting article. I put related podcasts. Uh, if I have anything as far as any of my books that are coming out uh, or any announcements, it's going to come out in my newsletter. So please go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com or MarlenePardo.com and you can sign up for my newsletters um, and just once a week. All right. And of course, let me tell you something. If you're into the, the paranormals, your bag, baby, that's, that's where you're going to find it. Anyway, let's get on to the good part. The good part is who I have as a guest. This gentleman this is his first time here, and I'm very excited uh, to welcome him. His name is Andre Arfretino. Okay, he is a professional illustrator and storyteller. He's worked uh, in a variety of mediums from published graphic novelist to ghost tour guide in Savannah, Georgia, to reality television and podcast personality. Uh, he's a visual storyteller. And uh, he uses his skills in both writing and illustrating to work on a variety of projects, both personal and commercial. He is the creator of the Florida-focused graphic novel series, The Flagler's Few. And he's worked with clients, including the New York Times bestselling authors, Shelley Frazier, Mickle, Infinite Energy, and Firehouse Subs. Uh, he is... Um, he currently resides in Savannah, Georgia, with, I love this, with his amazingly talented wife, two furry rascals, and a school of koi fish. He moonlights as a walking ghost tour in his free time. And I was already talking to him. It was, believe me, we, we got a lot to talk about. Help me welcome him. How are you doing today, Andre? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me, Marlene. On the contrary, my pleasure. I'm going to ask you, Andre, what I ask most of uh, my guests. Obviously, you know, you're doing the, um, the, the ghost tours. But did you ever have your own personal experience before you ever started doing the tours? Uh, yeah. So, you know, um, I've always been into the paranormal since I was a child. Um, okay. and, you know, I think, um, I read, I watched this documentary once about archeologists who always say, you know, uh, any modern archeologist that would tell you today that they weren't partially inspired to be archeologists by watching Indiana Jones would be lying to you. Right, and I yeah. think that the same could be said for most ghost hunters, you know, paranormal investigators would say that partly to be inspired by it was likely Ghostbusters. So I grew up watching Ghostbusters, the cartoon, the movie, you know, I couldn't do horror movies growing up, but Ghostbusters was, you know, doable somehow. Um, and then I, you know, don't often share this, but you know, I'll definitely share with you and your, and your podcasters is that, um, you know, in 2005, before I attended the Savannah College of Art and Design, where I earned a degree in comic books, um, my father uh, had passed away. And uh, it was um, really sudden and unexpected passing. Uh, and before he passed away, I remember that we were taking a drive in a car. I had just been accepted to the university. And, um, you know, we were talking. He was proud of me. He was very happy I was going to the university. But it's very expensive. It was a very pricey school. And, um, you know, he was a chef. And my mother was a ballet teacher slash elementary school teacher at the time. And he said, look, no matter what happens, I will get you to that university. We don't think much of it in the car. It's just whatever, you know, okay, thanks, Dad. I appreciate it. Uh, and then, a, you know, the conversation turned to a surgery he was having coming up. And, you know, uh, he was a little uncertain about the surgery. 
just because he didn't like the idea of surgery and I don't like the idea of surgery. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember he went in for the, for the procedure. Uh, there was complications that arose from the procedure. And when he came out, he was having difficulty breathing. And I remember that night I was supposed to go out with my girlfriend to a club. We were going to go party. Uh, and I asked my dad before I left, I said, do you need me to stay? Do you want me to go? I mean, said, he waved me off, said, go ahead and go. And so I went, went out. And that night I had checked my watch, which was a brand new watch. I just bought it maybe, maybe a few months before. And the watch lit up 1058 and then just died completely, suddenly. And um, I was like, God, that's really bizarre. I don't know why it's a brand new watch. So I drove home that night, and it was especially foggy. I've always had this thing about the fog. You know, I'm not a sensitive or anything like that, but when there's a lot of dense fog, it always allows your mind to really kind of, sure, of course. you know, and imagine. And I found out that he had passed away while I was at the party. Um, and the next couple of days, everything was a blur, but the next couple of days we went to deal with some of the, you know, death certificate stuff. And it turned out he had died very closely to that 1058 uh, moment. I was about and, to say, uh, yeah. Ever since then, I never replaced the battery on the watch. I held the watch. I've always had it. Uh, a few years ago, my wife put my dad's ashes into the watch for me as a gift, which I was really, you know, that brought a tear to my eye. But after he passed, a lot of people were like, oh my gosh, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to still go to college? Are you going to do you know, go to SCAD? What is going to happen? I didn't know. I had two younger sisters and a mom and, you know, I didn't want to leave my family alone in Florida and go up to Georgia. And um, even though it's not far away, it's just, I didn't yeah. think we could afford it. Um, and so I remember that I tried for different scholarships, nothing took, everything was too little money for what I needed. And finally, I was told by my admission rep, they go, look, there's a brand new scholarship. All you have to do is write about why it's important to go to the university for you. And so I wrote about my dad, I submitted it in and forgot about it. And a few months later, I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll apply to University of Central Florida because we're from Gainesville originally, I figured. UF isn't really known for the animation or arts or graphic design really, right. but UCF had a really good record. And the moment I started to apply for that job, I got an email from SCAD that said, congratulations, you're the recipient of the SOS scholarship. Wow. And I was like, oh, what is this? Like 5,000, and that wasn't enough, trust me. I mean, right. I wish it was, but it wasn't. $45,000 a year to go to the school at that time. It was full wow. tuition for as long as I stayed on campus or off campus. I didn't have to take, I could take as few or as many classes as I wanted. It was the perfect scholarship, Marlene. It was the, wow. the holy grail of scholarships. And, uh, you know, I remember people telling me, like, don't worry, you know, your father's with you. Remember, you all, you know, miracles happen. And I'm not religious, you know. I'm right, but I know what you're just thinking, yeah. I'm just like, yeah, okay, well, thank you, you know. Um, and here it was. It was this, this thing. And I remember my dad had told me, he said, no matter what happens, which was just such foreshadowing that neither of us could have predicted. Mm -hmm. He says, I will get you to that university. And so, you know, he did. And, uh, my very first yeah, it was, it was his story yep. that you wrote about. Yeah. And, then and I bet you that whoever reviewed that, 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 uh, the application when they read that, I'm sure that oh, yeah. something very, sure what's the word I'm looking for? Heartfelt. Yes. Yes. And it, it absolutely yeah. resonated with them, I'm sure. But, um, you know, it was from going to that college, I, oh, am I disappearing here? Do you see me? 
No, there you go. You came back. Oh, it's okay. Sorry. It's all right. Don't worry about it. That from, from that book, uh, from my education at SCAD, I dedicated my very first book to my father, which was The Reaper of St. George Street, which was the first of the Flagler Few graphic novel series that Pineapple Press had published back in, started in 2012. So, um, so it was, it was right. full circle. And um, I don't tell that story that often. Is, I often. What a great story that is, as far as um, that. You know, because the, the thing is, you think about it for your dad to say that it's it's typically, though, what parents will tell their kid. You know what I'm saying? Right. Don't worry. You know, I'll do whatever it takes to make sure you go. But you just never at that moment imagine what was going to come after. No, there was no telling. Afterwards. That was completely unfathomable. Wow. So what happened? You you went to school and it was in. Uh, in um, this is how you ended up in Savannah then? Yes. So it was 2005. Um, I left home. I went to Savannah. It's only three hours from, from Gainesville. And uh, is this how you ended up in Savannah? Yes, this is how I ended up in Savannah. Um, can you see and hear me? I'm sorry. It might be a connection issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're good. You're good. Don't worry. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, I ended up in Savannah in 2005. There you go. Um, I attended the college for sequential art, which is comic book illustration. Uh, and while I was there, a okay. friend of mine was working as a local ghost tour guide. And she said, Hey, do you want to give ghost tours? And I was like, I had already been doing ghost investigations for the past, you know, three to four years. So I was like, sure. I love this. He's right up my alley. And, uh, that was 2005 and this is 2021 and I'm still giving ghost tours. Wow. Yeah. So obviously you do like to do it. It wasn't just something that you do. Like when, you know, you're going to college and you, you know, you need to get, you need to make money somehow. Uh, Marlene, I would say that ghost tours have kind of been another part of like what saved me through my life, you know? Um, Why do you say so that? I started it, it was a part-time job at one point in a, in a downtime. It was my full-time job. Uh, okay. Now it's a totally just fun time job. And um, I wouldn't still be doing it if I didn't enjoy, you know, meeting new tourists, talking about the paranormal, hearing about their own individual stories, and then just really, it's a decompressor at the end of the day, you know, after a hard day's work, and, you know, you come home and go, all right, I'm going to grab myself a drink at the local bar. I'm going to walk these tours through a two mile hike and we're going to just talk ghosts. And so it's been there the whole time. It's never, it's been a rock for me and uh, I'll do it until the day I can. Because let me ask you, do you do, I know you, you said it was like a walking tour, but do, I know that some, uh, um, there's now the tours, what they call the pub crawl that also takes you through basically have a drink and listen to ghost stories. Do you do that too? Yeah, so when I started doing ghost tours back in 05, I did the family-friendly tours. And then okay. I did that for a number of years, and then I transitioned into the pub crawls. So I do primarily the pub crawls now. And that okay. constitutes the same amount of ghost stories, you know, but um, directed near bars. So we will do at least three or four bars in a night. And, uh, you know, some of those bars are haunted, some of them aren't. But the spirits that they'll find at those bars will definitely help kind of get the creative imaginative juices rolling so that they can experience the ghost down on the street. Are, let me ask you something. Are any of the pubs or drinking spots, drinking holes you go to, do they have any reputation? Because I know Savannah is like, where do you go that's not haunted? It's like, imagine some of them are haunted. Oh yeah. Yeah, so uh, one uh, of the particular bars that we like to visit is called um, the 1790. And the 1790 Inn and Restaurant was built not in 1790, but in 1820. Uh, and it was built by a man named Mr. Powell. 
And he built it as both his private home and as a boarding house for his sailors because he was a sea merchant. And he figured when his merchants were in town, he could board them in his house and save himself some money. Okay. So uh, at the age of 65, he took himself a young wife. Uh, her name was Anna. And uh, when he um, met this wife and he took her in, he was a terrible husband. Never mind that they were, she was 13 years old. He was 65. What? Wait, 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 wait. 13, 1600s. I know, know, I know, but God, you know, I believe it or not, I because I do a lot of historical research, and you find that that was common as far as these 20 and 25 year difference sometimes in ages. But boy, let me yeah, tell you, 50 that's something years in difference. And so, uh, surprisingly, they did not get along. Is that what you're oh, no, they, I mean, it was terrible. He had beat her, he had locked her up in rooms by herself, he sent her down to the river to check in the ships in the middle of the night. Um, and so she was miserable. And then one day a ship came in that had been battered off the Georgia coast. It had undergo about three months worth of repairs. And during that three months, Mr. Pallet invited his crew to come stay at this house, including a young sailor who was the nephew of the sea captain. And uh, he was 16 years old. Anna at that time was also 16. And when the two of them met each other, it was like fireworks. Wow. And uh, they kindled the relationship for the next three months. Uh, all underneath the nose of Mr. Powell. And uh, then the day that they were, the, the night before they were supposed to disembark, uh, the young boy comes to Anna and goes, Anna, I don't want to leave you. I want you to come with me. We can sneak you out in the middle of the night. Mr. Powell never find out. We'll be long gone. We'll be out to sea. And so Anna agreed. And uh, the only tragedy of the system was that the young sailor had gone to his captain and his captain being his uncle said, oh yes, we've seen the way Mr. Powell treats her. It's very unchristian-like. We'll sneak underneath the cover of darkness. But before doing so, you must go to your fellow sailors because it is believed to be bad luck to have a woman on board a ship. Right. So he goes to his sailors. They all agree. They're like, yeah, let's get Anna out of here. Nobody liked Mr. Powell. And they were drinking in the bar, the, the same bar that I take people into today. Uh, and one drink led to five and five drinks led to seven. Seven drinks led to ten. You know, loose lips sink ships. And uh, oh, yeah. these sailors throw the joke about how they were going to sneak Anna out of the city. And nobody realized that Mr. Powell was inside the bar with them when they made that joke. So uh, that night, the young boy comes over to pick up Anna and he's greeted with two pistols pointed straight at his head. And, you know, Mr. Powell backs him out in the middle of the road and says, you don't get out of here. I'm going to blow your brains away. And so, you know, the young boy takes off in the night, but not before he sees Anna pounding on the window above, looking down at him. And he goes, Anna, wait for me, my love. I'll return. And he takes off. Next morning, Anna's body was found at the end of the road. She had jumped headfirst, committing suicide out that window. Supposedly. Now, the oddity of the situation is, is that, you know, the only person who could contest to that happening was Mr. Powell. So the idea is that perhaps Mr. Powell had killed and beaten his or beaten and killed his wife and then right. threw her body out the window to, you know, hide the fact that he had murdered her. Sure. And, uh, you know, to this day, the room that Anna supposedly had jumped from uh -huh. is got a waiting list around the block because paranormal enthusiasts from around the country and the world want to stay in that room. It said, you never leave that room without your own personal paranormal experience. Uh, wow. Men women's hands, you know, stroking through their hair at night when they have no women in the bed with them. Men, uh, women have said that they've had their lingerie mysteriously go missing. Men and women have been awoke in the middle of the night by the crying of a little girl sitting at the foot of their bed. And the moment the little girl notices that she's being watched, she disappears. 
And then down in the basement, and also, by the way, I mean, it's so famous as a haunted place that even Miley Cyrus had tried to stay there one night. Um, I knew a black ops uh, army ranger who tried to stay there one night. He couldn't make it through the whole evening. Said he got a bad feeling from staying in that room. But down in the basement, next to the bar is a fantastic restaurant um, that I always recommend people go to. But it's not uncommon for guests at the restaurant to ask the waiters uh, about a man dressed in what looks to be a 19th century sailor uniform, going around from table to table, not saying anything, but just looking at the women at the table. And people oftentimes mistake it as a, you know, maybe some sort of funky ghost invest, uh, ghost uh, acting, but uh, it's possible that that's the young boy having returned back, still searching for Anna all these centuries later. So. Yeah, that's wow. a really popular one of my stops. And a lot of tourists love to go in there and, and see the rooms and look up at the rooms. And just out of curiosity, what, Mr. Powell did, of course, which I have a feeling, he was responsible in one way or another. He probably oh, yeah. died of old age asleep in his bed. I, I <laughs> believe looks... the legend doesn't really state what happened to Mr. Powell, but I assume he did die maybe after. Maybe his ghost haunts that place out of vengeance. All right, but... yeah, but yeah, he got away with it. it was, yeah, come on. as most men did back then, so... Well, back then it was one of those things, but uh, uh, yeah, it, yeah. That, that, that's, I hate to say it, but that wasn't that uncommon. Um, no, that's the funny thing is when tourists all gasp at me about like, oh my God, yes. 13 and 65. I was like, hey, right. this was the time she was betrothed to this guy. I mean, her father sold. And right. I was going to say there were, especially, uh, yeah, the, the I'm thinking without knowing the, the particulars of her family of origin, yeah. they had to have been okay with it. I mean, back then, no birth control. Yeah. I mean, they might have five, six, seven kids, and they just need to sell them off to anyone yeah. they could to make ends meet. So yeah, it's, it's like, oh, you know, around. somebody was willing to marry her, and if he had some type of money, it was like she'll be taken care of, and you know, yeah. whatever. It was tragic. I was like, yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, that's a that's very one of uh, spot that a lot of tourists like to go to, and it's been featured on a lot of investigations, and uh, you know, there's a, quite a few different hauntings that take place in that building. Man, now that uh, Halloween's coming up, let, I imagine, have you ever noticed whether it's the full moon or something like Halloween where, or any other trend where there's sightings or it's just something different when you do the tours that you can say, you know, when this, this, when these things happen or in this time of the year, I notice that activity is up. Right. Well, you know, as most of us in the investigative world like to believe, you know, one theory is, is that, you know, ghosts are really just energy. You know, it's not anything supernatural, mm -hmm. but maybe some sort of untested or unprepared scientific explanation for it based off of the energy levels. Um, and we all know that like a crowd of people can be influenced by certain energies. You know, if you're in a crowd... And there's a lot of anger in the crowd that you yourself might feel anger. If there's a lot of levity in a crowd, there's a lot of happiness. Um, you know, and the same thing I think can happen around the Halloween season. You know, when people are in the spirits, when people are into it, you know, even those who dress up in costumes and run around the neighborhood are only purporting yeah. and stirring and developing and boiling over that sort of supernatural energy that could, uh, you know, maybe enhance the experiences that people have. But that same token, we could be matrixing it, you know, the fact that we're looking so hard for that to be happening during Halloween, right, right, just right. Like we look for the, uh, the, the happiness and the, and the um, levity of, of Christmas season, that everyone's own group spirits and everyone wants to, 
you know, do well by each other. You know, it's the same thing in Halloween. If we're all out there to scare each other, you know, we're going to look for the fright wherever we can find it in any unknown shadow. But I do think, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, during this time of the year, uh, you know, I, I feel that when the temperature drops and it becomes a little breezier out there, just as I mentioned mm -hmm. earlier, I'm not a believer in the sort of, um, sort of a psychic element of the paranormal investigations. Mm -hmm. But I, I've got to say, like when it's a foggy night or a windy night. Yeah, the setting is just something about it that just. What, what, what's it, what is it that they call it? The, you know, the setting for every uh, novel. It's, it was a dark and stormy night. Right. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And what but that's great. It makes for great storytelling. Sure. It makes for great imagination. And I, I'll tell you that after years of doing investigations, I came to the, the decision that I no longer wanted to hunt the paranormal for proof, because I feel like chasing the, the truth or, I mean, chasing that proof diminishes the storyteller aspect of what we're trying to sure. do. Sure. Uh, and, and I remember a few years ago, they sent a, uh, what was it? They sent a drone into Loch Ness to scan all of Loch Ness. And they claimed that this would be the definitive scan that would purport once and for all, whether or not the Loch Ness monster truly could exist. And I don't know what the what the findings were. I don't know. It obviously hasn't changed too much because I think Loch Ness is still getting quite a bit of, um, you know, tourism from it. But that reading that article instantly made me realize that it is so important that there are those of us that just want to push the legends, the folklore, and you know the the original stories because that's what we need in a society. We obviously don't want to have you know. I mean, by that same token, we. We need facts. We need truth. You know more. But so you know what? I hate to say it, but there's a part of us that is, likes to romanticize these things. Right. And like you said, all right. of a sudden, yeah. all the technology, the drone, it's like, okay, there isn't anything yeah. there. And, and, and it takes away from the. I mean, we yeah, we grew up course. in a time. I mean, there there's. We were talking earlier about the 1800s and how easily, you know, um, one occurrence can stimulate and create a whole fear factor for a whole neighborhood. But we have to also remember it was darker then, you know, historically, there wasn't, everything wasn't connected. We didn't have the internet, you know, there wasn't television, you know, uh, lamps, lamp posts that were gas lit were the only things that really provided light at the end of the night. So um, there is an aspect to, you know, we know so much now through so much brightness that it's good to keep a little bit of the, the spookiness that we don't know. Well, no, what I was gonna what I was gonna get into right before the the internet decided to have its way with us, um, that when the that I I remembered now it was the Gribble axe murder, which was uh, that location axe, yeah. where the three women were were killed and it was never solved, even though one of the husbands or the ex husbands did do some jail time or he was pardoned, but there was always there was always a feeling that somehow, for lack of a better word, he was uh, a patsy in the sense of they needed to arrest somebody for three women that were basically uh, killed horribly mm -hmm. and that they demolished the house and then they built that trolley tour company. And you were telling me before we started to record that you had your own experiences while you were there in that building or where it used to be at, in other words. Yeah. So uh, for a brief time while I was in Savannah, I worked for a company that was working for Old Town Trolleys, uh, doing their ghost and gravestone management for their tourism. And um, what they did is they hired a few of us to kind of manage the trolleys at night. So 
I literally drove around in a vehicle with a walkie-talkie and would signal the different trolleys on their routes, make sure everything was being done appropriately. You know, we had different stage stops for the trolleys along the way, so we had to make sure everything was working like clockwork. Um, but at the end of the night, the trolleys would come back to this trolley barn that was built on the land that the Gribble House had been um, demolished on. And, okay. uh, you know, I personally... I had some experiences there, but I would, I was told by tour guides, um, drivers, and even mechanics who'd worked there in the evening that at a certain point they had to get out of the barn. Like they just couldn't be there after a certain time at night. Some of these were really stonewalled, like pretty stiff, like strong people that you wouldn't expect to feel that way. But, um, I remember talking to one mechanic who said he felt like he was attacked, you know, by a, a, a spirit. Um, I have people say that they saw shadow figures dancing between the trolleys at night. And, uh, wow. you know, what was always really weird and bizarre for me when I would be uh, running the trolley company is that at the end of the evening, I would literally be the last person there. So we're talking 12 o'clock, one o'clock in the morning, the trolleys would come in. And every night the trolleys would come in, it was like playing a game of Tetris because the trolley barn had the store, I think like 30 trolleys. And these are big freaking buses, you know? So they'd have to mm -hmm. store these trolleys, and you'd be amazed how they could just compact all these trolleys into the barn. Um, but every night, it was literally a labyrinth that would transform. So one night, you know, some trolley would be this way, one trolley would be that way, one trolley would be sideways, two catty-cornered, whatever. But I would have to set the alarm on one half of the building and then run through the barn, not out of fear, but because... The barn was so large, you had to set the alarm and you were given like a two minute window to get the hell Oh, out that's right. It's got like a delay of only a certain amount yeah, of time, beep, right? Beep, yeah. Beep. It was like trying to set a bomb and then run away. Yes. You know, like the movies are like, we got 30 seconds. We got to get to the chopper. <laughs> um, so I would run through the <laughs> To bomb. the chopper. Yeah, get to the chopper now. Um, <laughs> so we would have to, I would have to run through the barn to get to the other side. Well, you know, every night it would be a different maze. So I would go right, left, 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 right, you know? And then some nights I'd go right, 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 left, right, 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 left. So it always got to be a little terrifying because added to that, the just background subtle fear of knowing that people had told me they'd been attacked or that they had heard voices or that they saw a shadow on top of the trolley one night, you know? I just always had this sort of like movie fear you know, there was like, I am literally that character in the beginning of some movie that's going to be about, you know, an axe murderer haunting one of these trolleys who's going to kill me on my way to try and get out of the barn. Um, and that lasted for right. over a year um, of me just having to do these frantic runs through the trolleys to get to Jump safety. security. I bet nobody wanted that job. <laughs> no, yeah. Nobody wanted to stay there at night. Um, and it was a little bit of a weird feeling. And then a year later, after I left, they turned the trolley barn into a haunted attraction and would give people okay. K2 meters and send them on their way into the barn and say, yep, investigate this empty barn space and see if you can find anything from the Gribble House murders. So it was you know what? Even though as, as, as horrible as that murder was, because it was a murder, you know, with an ax. And yeah, but a lot of people don't realize that, that that area, I think, and I don't know if the railroad's still close to it, but man, let me tell you something, a lot of those uh, railroad yards, they used to have pretty horrible accidents happen to the workers. Mm -hmm. You know, to the brakemen and the you know the guys that were running around there. I mean, sometimes you read about these things: people's legs, their head. I mean, but I mean, having an accident if you worked in one of these rail yards, a lot yeah, of they, things, bad things, could happen to you. Yeah, there was no OSHA during those times. So oh heck, no! It was like, hey, you better you better be fast on your feet. 
Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, the you hear about the right across. This. I mean, there's not a working railroad system, but there's now a, uh, uh, tr uh, train museum across the way that's dedicated to the Georgia railroad system, which was that obvious proponent. You know, that was the system that was existing during the time that the Gribble house would have been there. And as we also talk about very likely drifters who just probably popped in and out of that, you know, train yard could walk right across the street and find themselves at home and get themselves an ax. And if they had an inkling to murder, then just there were three right, women. Right, 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 right. And, you know, and as horrible, that's another thing that, you know, they say, as horrible as it sounds to think of an ax murder, an ax that, that was very common in those times to have around the house because it was used a lot for different yeah. uh, activities in the house. It wasn't like, you know, that, why would you have an ax in your house? It was like, everybody had an ax in their house. Right. Um, so it was like, it came in handy, that's a bad, but, but yeah. The ax was as common um, then as a spatula. And, and I remember, you know, what's really, now I remember something about that Gribble Ax murder. One of the things that they said was, that they couldn't understand why nobody heard these women scream, supposedly. You know, in other words, like what happened, like maybe you could kill one of them, but you know, nobody heard a scuffle, nobody heard a scream, nobody, nothing well, like that. Isn't that, that the so, same story that the again, Amity House murder? I mean, the Amityville murder that occurred? Oh, yes, Europe. yes. And you know what, now that you brought that up, um, one of the things, whether whether you believe in the, um, you know, right, the, the fail, the, when the, the, the the murder, the, the fail family, mm -hmm. you know, whether you believe that the Amityville horror is haunted or not, you know, with the, the Lutzes afterwards, that was one of the things that everybody thinks is like, how can nobody in that neighborhood, a residential neighborhood hear shotgun or, you know, bullets, anything, or a I've never series mind. of them go off. How did the family? Uh, because the nobody, I imagine that was not a common thing to hear in that neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. So. Is that is there a connection there to these ghastly murders and how they were able to be committed without anybody finding out or experiencing it at the time? I don't know. Hey, everybody. In case you were wondering what's happening, what's happening is I'm sure you heard that we were having some internet problems and we decided to go on the phone. So I've got Andre with me. But before we get keep going on the interview, what are things, because I know that somebody's going to say, I heard there's a banging somewhere in the background. Believe it or not, that's one of my dogs with a bone. I bought a big bone and they all take turns on it. But like children, for anybody who has had children, they have the whole house where they could go and chew on the bone. But no, his name is Jinjin, as in I dream of Jeannie's dog, Jinjin. He must come and sit under my desk with the bone. And when he gnaws on it, it taps, 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 because I know somebody's gonna say, hey, what was that weird noise? That's my dog, Jinjin being uh i can't i love him to death but still it's like yeah you know and <laughs> what can i say it's one of those things you can't control animals but anybody anyway anybody that's been around my interviews knows that weird animal noises show up because i have a lot of animals but anyway let's get back on right to the show <laughs> the paranormal um that you were saying that you had to do your your um basically you had to run through to get to the other side of the building so you can get out of the building because you didn't want right. to be one of those that had your own paranormal experience. And and I said also that the the railroad yards are infamous, you know, not there in Savannah, but everywhere for very horrendous uh, accidents happening to the people that used to work in those railroad yards. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe right. it's 
it's not the Gribble Axe murdered ladies, but somebody that drifted over um, mm -hmm. to that spot. And uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes it's not who you expect who, who makes you have weird uh, experiences. And uh, again, we're getting back to Savannah. Have you ever had, when you're conducting these tours, have you ever had an experience that you didn't expect as far as... Yeah, so there's, um, there's interestingly enough, one of my favorite stories to talk about on my ghost tours is the story of Renee Rondalia Ash, which is the Savannah monster story. And it's about a boy who was born um, with a mental disability, but also likely suffered from giganticism. Because by the time he was 14 years old, he was about... 300 pounds and almost seven feet tall. Ooh. And he oftentimes was shunned by the public. So he had to play alone in the cemetery by himself. And whenever he left the cemetery at night, people would say that they would find the remains of dead animals in the cemetery. Like, you know, squirrels with their heads twisted off their necks or birds with their wings ripped off their bodies. And uh, it was believed that Rene just really didn't know his own strength and his, you know, sort of playing with these animals. Okay. But uh, one day they found the body of a little girl who had been twisted and mutilated in the same fashion as Renee's animals. And so they hanged the boy from a square in Savannah, Warren Square. And um, the story goes is that even after his death, the murders persisted. And on top of that, his burial had been you know, pretty much dug up and his body had gone missing. Um, which where does a you know, seven foot tall, 300 pound body go? You know? Exactly. Um, so a lot of people... A lot of people believe that Renee still wanders the streets, and um, there have been, I would tell my ghost stories, people who had reported being nearly strangled to death in the squares. Now, I had only read about that, really, those experiences, um, but one night I was giving a ghost tour, and uh, on the tour, these two ladies asked me before we entered in, into Warren Square, it was right before I was going to tell that story, they said, look, we were just, as we were walking through the last square, we felt difficult to breathe you know like it started off feeling kind of like a slight allergic reaction but they said for a few moments there they really were having trouble catching their breath and they said is there any experience about people having lost their ability to breathe in the last square and it didn't dawn on me at first because like well the last square columbia square there's nothing there but the keogh house and that's a totally other and then i went oh but it is the corridor from where Renee used to walk from Warren Square to the cemetery. So it's possible that anybody walking along the same corridor that Renee did died that same, or, or experienced that same difficulty of breathing. Okay. So the lady proved it for me by saying, like, okay, well, you know, we couldn't breathe over there. And these were three, like, you know, you know, these are three ladies that were not sensitive. They were not, you know, they, they were not the type of people you would think would be pulling a fast one over you. And they were also the kind that didn't really know a lot about ghosts. So when they said they experienced that and really felt like frightened by it, I was like, well, that's likely Renee. And I, as I explained the story, it, it only made them more afraid at the end. But uh, we, we booked it out of that square pretty quickly after that. It's like, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And you know what? That's kind of sad, that story, because from what you're saying, they they basically accused the wrong person. That's a shame. Oh, yeah. That well, I mean, they might have accused the wrong person. They might have accused the wrong person in the Gribble House murder, too. I mean, you yeah, said exactly. That exactly. They found 
And I mean, when you don't have forensic analysis in those days, it's, yes. you know, it's pretty much she said, she said, and then that's yes. what happened. So Renee, whether he's stalking the streets looking for his next victim or trying to avenge his death, um, right. he's a very popular story in Savannah. And uh, on multiple versions of my tours, I've had things unusual happen around that square. Uh, the tree limb that he supposedly hanged from suddenly creaking for no reason without any wind or any squirrels in the tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've had people capture photographs of what looks to be a blob hanging from the bottom of the tree, you know, with shoulders and a head on it. So a blob? Oh, I think you're Renee kidding. Himself, yeah, yeah. I think Renee makes himself pretty visible in that square very often. Wow. Yeah. That is... That, that, um, let me ask you, uh, that I can't remember what the name of the cemetery is, the one, of course, that's very famous because it was in the... Midnight, the Garden of Good uh, and Evil. Um, yeah, Bonaventure. The Bonaventure, exactly. Um, do you do any tours there? Because I know that's a pretty no, old cemetery, never, huh? That is an old cemetery. And I have my thoughts about tours going through cemeteries. So uh, a few years ago, they started doing a lot more. When I first started in Savannah, there was no nighttime ghost tours in Bonaventure. Okay. Uh, but in the past few years, you know, I went from being one of only five walking ghost tour guides to now being one of 35. And I think anybody who's got the right amount of money that can wave in front of anybody's face will get something, you know, done. Right. Um, but I find it to be a bad taste to be giving a tour of 30 people, you know, a haunted tour through a cemetery. Um, you can go in there in the daytime and it's a beautiful cemetery. It's right. very spooky. It's daytime. There's several ghost stories that are actually based inside the cemetery, one of which... Um, being that the cemetery used to be a plantation, and the plantation mysteriously caught on fire one night. Okay. And the owner, being a good Savannah host, just took all the plates and all the tables out into the yard, and they just continued drinking and eating while the house burned down. And when they were done with their glasses, they were So, um, yeah, that's my dogs over the bone. I'm glad I, I I'm glad I explained okay. that. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but anyway, go ahead. No, no, it gave me a chill too. I was like, was that you were like, oh, <laughs> no, that's of course. It's like, so, but don't uh, worry, anyways. my audience is used to this because, of course. <laughs> well, anyways, people would say that if you go there in the daytime, you close your eyes, you can still hear the murmurs of dinner conversation and the shattering of glasses against trees. But because... um, the answer, no, I don't give the tours inside the cemetery. They are available. Um, if you want to go and experience it, that's your own thing. But for me, you know. Let the dead lie, and if you want to experience it or pay your respects, don't do it in the daytime. But at night, you know, I, I think let me ask you something. Unfortunately, I've seen, and I don't know if they're doing that in Savannah, and I don't know because sometimes mm-hmm. I've seen that a lot of cemeteries, though, uh, after sundown, they close the gates. That's what I've seen across the board. Yeah. That yes. uh, so, Colonial Park Cemetery, which is the one inside the city, the one that Renee played in, mm-hmm. they close their, their gates at dusk, right? And they open again at and really, that's more for um, for preservation of the cemetery, right. but also just safety factors. I mean, at Bonaventure, you have to drive to get to, and they close their gates at night as well. But, uh, you know, if you're in the middle of Colonial Park Cemetery, you're in the city. I mean, anybody can be doing anything behind any of those tombstones. And um, right. rumor had, right before I moved to Savannah, that there was signs of a um, satanic ritual in the cemetery. I would be somebody surprised. Had cut off had left a goat's head inside yeah. the cemetery and 
some uh, you know practices were being done in there at yeah. night, and that was another reason why they locked it. Because yes. they used to not lock it every night when I was down there, mm-hmm. but that happened when I moved to Savannah. Right. Yeah. I was, yeah, the same thing. I mean, I was born and raised in Miami, and like I said, normally, um, especially if they were the older cemeteries, they, nobody ever bothered mm-hmm. to lock them because, you know, who wanted to, who would want to go in there at night? But yeah, most, all the cemeteries right. I know, they, as I mean, soon, they, they close them, they lock them. Yeah, and I've heard ghosts, I've heard stories from tour guides who, um, you know, the network's pretty extensive, but I've heard rumors of people who would give ghost tours in New Orleans in the walled cemeteries and uh there's no better way to get yourself mugged you know 30 people getting mugged or held up by gunpoint and put them in a uh, walled cemetery where nobody can see outside um right. and you can just shoot around any corner so um uh, you know i mean it's, it's sometimes you have to worry more about the living than you have to worry about the dead yeah well let's face it you know you know that a group of what probably are tourists are bound to have some type of money on them yeah oh yeah yeah. I know. So um, it's like, uh, yeah, but I, yeah, I, I, I had heard of that. I had heard of that. And, um, God, who was it that told me a few months back that like St. Louis and those older cemeteries that before you could go in there, you know, just on your own, you wanted to stroll through it. Now they, mm-hmm. you, you know, you, you can't, you have to pay and, you know, it's almost like you have to pay to get into the cemetery, not because you're on a tour, just because you want to stroll through there. So yeah, yeah. a lot of things yeah. have changed. I went to St. Louis Cemetery Number Four in the daytime once, the mm. one where uh, uh, Laveau's body is buried. Right. Um, and I even was like, I was there with my sister, and I was like, you know, something doesn't feel right. And it wasn't the ghost. It uh, wasn't the, it's it's not the, 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 the people. Like, you're in the cemetery, New Orleans. It was right after Katrina. I was like, you just don't know like what people would be up to in here sure. because it was a perfect place to hide into. So. Um, you know, yes. it's probably best to let the let the dead lie and go find your kicks elsewhere. Yeah, in case, right. And we don't want to join them, in other words. <laughs> yeah, true. I don't but, want my wallet to join them. Yeah, exactly so. right. Yeah, sometimes it's unfortunate what happens. Um, in, uh, God, what was it? Um, there was another story that I had heard about Savannah. Because Savannah has got so such a rich history. Because the thing is that people see these squares and you think of it as being like the city, but historically sometimes that was the outskirts of the city like you said where bonaventure used to be there used to be a plantation before mm-hmm. uh a lot mm-hmm. of these places that now are part of the city used to be rural for lack of a better word uh, uh, yeah and let me ask in you fact, how where about, i live i'm sorry go ahead i was gonna say in fact where i live right now up until 1910 was the woods okay and now it's only street it's you know, five minutes to downtown from where I live. So, right. yeah, it's um, uh, definitely spread out from its original plan. General Oglethorpe founded the city in 1733, you know, with the idea of creating a planned city that all these squares would actually act as military fortifications mm-hmm. to protect essentially Charleston and the other British colonies from Spanish Florida, specifically St. Augustine, which is my old stomping ground. And, um, you know, the thing is, is that... Uh, Originally, it started with two squares, it grew to be four squares, it grew to be eight squares, and then by the time all was said and done, it was about, you know, 22, 24 squares that were placed out here. And so some of those outer lying squares used to be the woods at the beginning of the of the city's construction. Right, exactly. And some people forget that. that. Yeah. That, 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 that what seems there now very, you know, 
Um, where's, isn't there, um, God, what's, isn't there also a fort out there? God, I know what's the name of that fort. Are you talking about Fort Jackson or are you talking about Fort Pulaski? Fort Pulaski, Fort Pulaski. Yeah. Is there's, yeah, there's, so Fort, there's Fort also, Pulaski. go ahead. No, that's a fun place to visit. I don't know about ghost experiences mm -hmm. there, but I'm sure there have been some. Um, but Fort Pulaski is actually, some people say, the real beginning of the Civil War. They always credit Fort Sumter as being the first fort that, you know, fell right. to the Confederates and what the war. But Fort Pulaski fell to the Confederates months before Fort Sumter. The mm -hmm. only difference was Fort Pulaski was only manned by two Union soldiers at the time who pretty much just said, okay, you know, right. here's the door. You got to have it. And yeah, so well. that fort was taken. Right, because, um, I mean, I remember that. That I was thinking that Fort Pulaski has been there a really long time. And um, also um, Tybee Island. Uh, I mean, there's a lot yeah. of interesting places out there. Let me ask you about, and, and the reason why I'm asking you is that I know some places get these reputations and uh, what is that, uh, Moon, was it Moon River Brewery? Yes, that's the name of it. Uh, yeah. yeah, Moon River Brewery. Is the, It's got a haunted reputation and have you ever had there, any experiences there? Now, I personally have never had an experience at, at a Moon River Brewery, but it's accredited as being Savannah's first hotel. Okay. Um, it was a, it was a building was constructed as a hotel back in the um, in the late 1700s, early 1800s. And uh, when it opened, rumor had it that they had two Bengal tigers in cages when you'd walk out, walk into the door to the front of this building. Okay. Um, but there have been those stories that have ranged at that building from um, you know poker matches that have ended up in a de uh, bloody duel to uh, a bride who tumbled down the stairs and broke her neck. And uh, they say that the ghosts of both are still haunting this place. Um, as Moon River Brewery, it's been a, a restaurant, you know, in Savannah for years and years and years. And at first, they used to let the ghost tours come through the mm -hmm. restaurant. Right. And you could go down to the basement or go up to the upstairs. The first story is the restaurant proper. And if you walked in it, it just looks like a restaurant. But when you get to the second level and you look up to the third level, it is in absolute decay where it's still the original wallpaper, wow. um, it's still the original doors, it's crusty, it's falling apart, it's just the perfect setting for um, a haunted house, which is a lot of places in Savannah. You'll see some houses you'll drive by and you'll be like, that looks like a beautiful house, but only the exterior has been restored and the interior is still, you know, rotting yes. away and hasn't yes. really found itself yet. Um, I investigated a house just like that in Savannah. But, um, you know, they, they used to let people go in the Moon River. I've had friends of mine who, were, who worked at Moon River who mm -hmm. said that they would be um, shadow people in the basements, um, that they actually had them follow them up the stairs. I've heard other tour guides tell me that they've had tourists pushed down the stairs by uh, what looks to be a woman's bike. So, oh, 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 yeah, I know somebody. It's like, and you could tell. But anyway, keep going. But no, um, I mean, the experiences are still there, but unfortunately, uh, you know, I've heard that the restaurant's just not up with the ghost hunting coming through it anymore because you'd have 30 people trudging right through your No, I was going to say, as popular yeah. as ghost tours have become, I could see where it could be a problem. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's yeah. really weird because all these places that have these 
haunted reputations, usually the basement is the place nobody wants to go to. It's like <laughs> any place but the basement. Well, you want me to get the what the the cups, the whatever, the the napkins or the in the where in the basement? Like, uh, we're gonna have to draw straws for this. Every right, and the basement was uh, the basement's now an event space, so they actually have like wedding receptions in the basement. I've been to a wedding reception in the basement, mm-hmm. um, and you know. The fact that you just could be having your wedding reception next to maybe a couple of uh, you know shadow people, and maybe just part of the Savannah. <laughs> but you're, you're um, taking but no, your the, wedding uh, pictures, or you're looking at your wedding video, and all of a sudden you see these. <laughs> wow, that'd make it a memorable we thing. People, we invite these people. I don't know, um, but <laughs> it happens. But it the happens. thing is, people still that they ask me on my ghost tour, we go on by Moon River, and I, I have really never given people tours of Moon River. I've done it once or twice, but. At the end of the day, they just want to go in because it's one of the few places that used to let people come in. Right. And really no ghost tour at any point. It's a liability to go in some of the houses and buildings. Let so. me ask you something, Andre. There's, if I remember correctly, and I don't know if you know the story behind this. There was, isn't there a statue there right there by the river of a girl with a, she's waving like, like a cloth or something. Yeah. What's, what is so, that? It's called, it's called the Waving Girl. Mm-hmm. And the Waving Girl myth is that it, um, for many, many years, uh, in the early 20th century, uh, a woman used to wave uh, a sheet at the, the passing ships that would come in and out of the port. Because okay. uh, Savannah's a big port town. Mm-hmm. And um, the legend goes that, oh, she was waving them down. She was looking for her lost husband who had been lost at sea and hadn't come home. And, some people say that uh, actually that's not the truth, that it was, you know, a sister and her brother had gone off into, you know, the sea and never came home and his ship had sunk. And um, she just kept waiting and hoping that one day somebody would, you know, recognize her or, or come find her. Um, and so she waved it and waved it and waved it for years until she became her own legend. And uh, that statue was placed up there in memorial for her. Some people will still say, like, as the port ships come in and out, that they see a woman down there with her dog because the statue actually has a dog with it. Right, right. Yes, you're right. Um, that she's still out there waving ships in and out of the port. Um, but, uh, you know, of course, nobody uh, knows of any anybody going down there waving the ships in and out uh, other than that statue. But they say they still see an actual human being down there waving a sheet. Isn't that interesting? Wow. Oh, uh, Yeah. Like, I mean, the mystery is in the There's actual origins phenomenon. in and of itself also as to so why she would do that. Fun origin out there on the, um, uh, yeah. Um, out on River Street, which is not too far away from the Waving Girl statue, is a square that we call the Whispering Square. Okay. And if you stand in the middle of the square, look out at the river and you talk, you hear your own voice whisper back into your ear, almost as if you're in a sound booth. But it's literally just a run of the mill. If you'd walk by it, you would never have saw it kind of square. Um, not even a square, like a little plaza that's okay. just facing the riverfront connected to the whole pavilion. And um, I've had friends of mine who are sound design majors come out there and take a look at the spot, and they can't tell me what's causing it. Um, theory is, is that there's a wind tunnel that's underneath the plaza okay. that leads out into down, down below into the tunnel system. Um, but the question is, is what is it doing there and why is it been structured like this? So it's another little fun Savannah mystery paranormal happening that people like to kind of push around, but it's a lesser known one. Right, right. So That's for any really of your unusual. listeners, there's that. Inside that. 
Yeah, that's a cool one too. And um, and even more bizarre than you know, I'll, I'll tell you this other quick little yes, story. Yes. I had um, when I was a dad, I had one of my professors tell me, you know, hey, um, I know you're into the ghosts. He says, go to the Birkenstocks shoe store, which no longer exists on, on Savannah's main drag, which is Broughton Street. Okay. Um, if you go down there now, there's like everything from like, uh, you know, a Gap and a McDonald's, the Victoria's Secret used to be on that street. Um, a lot of restaurants, a lot of cafes. It's like the main Fifth Avenue for Savannah. But when you go down, uh, he says, go to the Birkenstock, ask the manager if you can look at the basement below, the dungeon. I go, oh, okay, I don't know what that, but I'll check it out. So I went to the Birkenstocks and I asked the manager, I was like, can I, you know, my professor told me to come down here and tell you his name. And he said that you would take me downstairs, look at the dungeons. I had no clue what he was talking about, but the manager goes, okay, follow me. And he took me to the room where they keep all the shoes, where you just assume that if they don't have a size nine, you know, they can go back there and get you one. Right. When they opened the doors, it was literally an archaic staircase that went down into the basement. And as you got down to the basement, it was vaulted. The whole basement was vaulted like a dungeon. And in fact, it had gone so far to having literal hooks still in the wall. And he stated that at one point in time, they actually had kept slaves down here and chained them to the walls. Um, and that they had done investigations down there. And that many psychics have claimed that there is a little boy who's complaining of stomach problems who's still down there haunting the basement. In fact, on the riverfront, there are alcoves over there that were where they unloaded this, the slaves off of the ships and stuck them in these this alcoves. Is the evil, this is right, right next to the river, right? Yeah, right next to the river. Actually, right next to the Hyatt, in fact. Okay. And you can see this go to the Hyatt. You can walk right up to it and see these alcoves, these little compartments they used to, you know, um, force the slaves into. And in fact, many of the stones on the riverfront are old ballasting stones from the slave ships that they just left on the river after they unloaded the ship. Uh, that, their, yeah, uh, that, that, you know what? I've heard that. So anyway, we investigated this little downstairs dungeon and there was even, yeah, it's terrible, but I mean, it's just, uh, of all places, a Birkenstock shop hidden behind <laughs> the veneer of, you know, tourism. That's incredible. I know. Right. Can you imagine Terrible, somebody but, you know, here? Here you're yeah. going to rent a space for your shoe shop, and it's like, oh yeah, but by the way, <laughs> okay, wow, yeah. that is unusual. And they have painted the wall. Oh, great! Yeah. What, what color had they painted the walls? Yeah, they they painted the walls paint gray or paint oh, blue. Oh right. Okay, uh, I was about to ask you that. Paint blue. Culture. Yeah, hate blue. So the idea is within the Gola and the Geechee cultures of, you know, Georgia, many of the slave cultures that had, you know, had come over from Africa, the idea was that ghosts cannot pass over the water. So this hate blue was painted on a lot of houses to mm -hmm. ward off evil spirits because they passed the ocean or passed the water. So, um, so they painted the walls, the hate blue color, uh, either to keep the spirits in or to keep it out. I don't know. Just in case. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you, Andre. Even now, do you do you see houses that still use that that color? I know which color you're talking about. Oh yeah. Yeah. So people yeah, still kind of very, believe in it, huh? My house is uh the my deck leading to my front door is painted paint blue. 
just in case. So, just in case. Just you nobody, never know. You, you, you want to make know. sure nobody follows you home. It's like, all right, don't, don't bother because. Well, you know, my occupation, it's very common for ghosts to follow you home. So, you know, um, it's a bad idea to have a little good juju on your side. Of course. Have you had anybody ever follow you home? Now that you brought that up. I've never had that experience, but I always end my ghost tour at the end of the night by telling people that while we sometimes take tours of the dead, it can't be said the dead don't sometimes take tours of the living. So I always <laughs> tell them, like, when they follow you home, just make sure they tip you extra well. Right, and you're like, and by the way, if anybody's going to get followed, it's like, pick one of the tourists here, but it, not me. Let me ask you, have you, have you any of your coworkers? Um because I've, you know, I have heard that, you know, not even so much whether it's tour operators or even docents. Sometimes mm -hmm. these um, these supposed hauntings, they they, they kind of like feel friendly towards that person that they see there all the time, and then after a while, yeah. they kind of like they start visiting this person's house because it's like almost well, like we've developed story. a friendship or uh, you know relationship kind of thing. Right. Well, there's one story of a, a Rebecca Clark, who was a historian who lived in Savannah in 1993. And she worked frequently downtown uh, in Wright Square, which was the square where Alice O'Reilly was hanged after she gave birth to her child uh, in 1734. Mm -hmm. She supposedly had murdered her master. She was an Irish immigrant, but she was working for an indentured servitude across the river on Hutchinson Island, and she had murdered her master. Um, by drowning him in a bucket of water. And they believed that the child might have actually been his and that he raped her, and that was why she murdered him. Mm -hmm. But after he hanged, you know, the child was died from, you know, uh, malnourishment. And it's a tragedy, but, uh, you know, this uh, Rebecca Clark, as she was driving home one night, she reported having this sinister feeling of something glaring at her in the back seat of the car. And it followed her all the way back to her house. And as she was trying to sleep that night, she was awoken by her office going berserk, like the lights turning on, the TV, the computer, the radio. And she said that through the echo of the radio and the television and the, and the uh, computer, she could hear a name being called out, and it was her name. And she was terrified. She slammed the door. She cried herself to sleep. Next morning, she woke up. She had to rush back downtown for work. And she said as she was driving downtown, despite it being broad daylight, she had that exact sinister feeling that she had the night before. And that as soon as they entered Wright Square, she said it just evaporated right out of her, uh, out of her uh, car. And she thinks that it might have been the spirit of either Alice O'Reilly or another dead soul that was hanged in Wright Square uh -huh. and that she just you know, had brought it home with her. Wow. Let me tell you this. Oh. <laughs> it's like, yeah. That right there is like, oh, <laughs> okay. But they, uh, yeah, I have heard of that. I, I have heard whether it's paranormal investigators. I've heard of ghost tours. I've heard of docents, uh, you know, uh, people that just, they hang out and all of a sudden it's like, uh, they start having peculiar stuff happen at their houses and it's like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's like, it's, not here. Yeah, you know, it's an occupational hazard, you know. If you're going to be battling in the ghost stories, it's not uncommon for you to become one. But so far, knock on wood, nobody's, nobody's decided to, to hitchhike home with you, huh? No, not yet. Either I'm not good looking enough or I actually... You... <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? Let me ask you. I noticed in your bio that you mentioned that you had worked in a 
paranormal show. And yeah. um, how did what, what were were you talking about your experiences there in Savannah? Uh, well, the way the show went down was I had um, I'd been finishing a ghost tour one night, and a tourist came up to me and she goes, "Look, you're really good. You should be on Ghost Hunters." And I I laughed at her and said, "Yeah, okay, whatever." She goes, "No, no, no. There's a brand new show." They're applying. You can apply for it online. All you have to do is just send in a video. Okay. So for schools, I went ahead and I, I sent in a video. I talked about my investigations. I talked about my tour guiding in Savannah, and uh, the show was Ghost Hunters Academy, actually. Okay. And um, yeah, yeah. And and so what happened is I interviewed back and forth for a little while, and the interviewer had said, "Look, I loved your video, but one of the reasons why I wanted to call you was because you grew up in Gainesville, Florida." He's like, I went to UF. And I go, oh, my gosh, go Gators. So we literally talked for a little bit about UF, about Gainesville, and then we even shared some ghost stories that we had known about in Gainesville, Florida. And um, But after three or four interviews, meeting with some different people, they hired me. And, and this is the biggest regret of my life because as they sat me down on the phone, they said, Andre, we want to let you know we're thrilled with you. We can't wait to invite you on the show, Ghost Hunters Academy. But. We've got this other great TV show we're developing for TLC. It's called Ghost Intervention. It's about three psychics who are going to be like Charlie's Angels going around, you know, finding ghosts to investigate on the same places ghost hunters did. And what we need is like a Bosley type on the show, you know, something to go around some scientific equipment, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of counter the experiences that the psychics are having or maybe to um, validate the experiences that psychics are having by being the only ghost hunter on this show. And they really pitched it. They laid it on thick, as Hollywood likes to do. They're like, look, you'll be the only guy. These are three charming psychics. They're beautiful. They're sexy. You know, I was only 23, 24 at the time. So, like, I was single. I was like, heck, yeah, this sounds great. Sign me up. Uh, And that show lasted literally a pilot episode. The psychics couldn't get along with each other. Really? You know, uh, it it was just kind of a weird, weird uh, experience. Um, but, uh, you know, that show didn't last. And then Ghost Hunters Academy went on to six seasons. And I was like, man, I really, yeah, I really I picked the wrong two. But, um, but that invest- it was still a, a very interesting experience. And I have to say that, you know, the psychics, as weird and as bizarre as I find psychics to be, and mm-hmm. as much as they quirk an eyebrow, you know, it was legitimate what I would see these psychics determine, you know. Um, like, they would sit down with the families, and the families would break down crying. And I, I mean, I was there in production the whole time and at no point did i ever see like you know anybody prep the families these weren't the kind of families you were prepping to be actors right, either right. you know the psychics independently investigated their experiences and came mm-hmm. together at the end and somehow miraculously came to a lot of the same conclusions and it wasn't a matter of being like you have somebody who lived here whose name began with an m right like their first name the middle name maybe their last name it wasn't like that They were very specifically Mm -hmm. pinpointing out exact experiences that family members had had, you know, to minute detail. And I'd watch as full-grown guys would just fall to the floor crying, you know. And um, so it was legitimate, you know, whether or not it it made, you know, whether or not we were able to get the ball rolling on the show. um, It was was legitimate experiences that these psychics were unturning. And, um, you know, uh, it was an experience. Whether Whether it was a good or a bad experience, it was definitely an experience. And uh, I treasure it for that. So. Well, you know what? I'm not surprised in a way what you told. I've been I've been doing 
paranormal investigations since the 1990s. And I'm going to tell everybody, my, my audience was he's been sick of me saying this, but this was when you had to develop, <laughs> you had to pay to develop your film. In other words, oh, digital. Yeah. But anyway, would you just, people don't realize that sometimes in paranormal investigations and groups, there's there's what they call paradrama. And this you learn later on, because when I was doing it, it was, <laughs> there was like you said, not a crowded field. Uh, and you right. know what, though, sometimes, Andre, what I find is people equate being psychic with being nice or sweet. You see what I'm saying? And you might be mm -hmm. a great psychic, but you might have a difficult personality. Right. <laughs> people kind of want to, you know, like, you know, that thing about if you're beautiful, you're nice or sweet or something. And you can mm -hmm. have, and I've run across some psychics that are, God, they're great. They're like, but sometimes they have difficult personalities. And like, you know how you're saying that they didn't get along with each other. And it's sometimes that kumbaya moment doesn't ever happen. And right. Um, yeah. Uh, I tell everybody. Well, I think with these psychics, I think with these psychics, it was hard because they were literally being plucked out of, you know, a casting call. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's, you know, you, you know, better than me that mm -hmm. when it comes to investigations, you've got to rely on the people that you're working with. Sure. You know, you have to understand them. You have to know them. You have to, it's like a partnership, you know? Um, yes. I mean, it's the same reason why this doesn't work when you watch these like romance reality TV shows where they slap two people together who have no chemistry. Right. Like if the psychics have no chemistry, it might make for good paradrama. But right. at yeah. the end of the day, your investigation is going to be stressed because yes. you have three people doing things three different ways that they don't trust see how the other people are doing it. Right. So um, it was a mess. I, I, it was this, it was a unique experience, but I think it was one of the experiences that also drew me away from doing investigations after mm -hmm. that, because I think that like you were doing investigations since before it was popular. Yes. Just, you know, I tell everybody it was Not, quite different, quite different. Right. And I did it before Ghost Hunters came out, but probably, like, I started in early, like, 2000, 2001, 2002. Mm -hmm. So Ghost Hunters hadn't come out to make it a, a world phenomenon yet, but it was still not as old as you had been. Like, you know, you had been doing it since right. the 90s, and people did it since the 70s and 60s. Exactly. And those generations were so, it was a laugh at to do it. You know, now... Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to be their own paranormal investigative team because they want to be the next Ghost Hunter TV show. Um, or at least it was in the 2000s. Like, I remember almost every network had its own paranormal TV show. Right. And, like, every, every state had its own three or four or five paranormal investigative teams that claimed they were the team. Twitter had just come out. You know, social yeah. media was blowing up. Everybody who had a baseball hat and a T-shirt that was, like, you know, embroidered with their team name on suddenly they were the go-to investigators. And the thing is, is that, you know, I realized after being on the paranormal show that I was like, it's just, it's, you know, ghost hunting is really a quiet, solitary, it's, it's like collecting stamps or it's like bird watching. You know, mm -hmm. you have to have a lot of patience and you have to be ready for there not to be anything there. Oh, sure. And that's you the know, part a lot of people things. when they get decided that they want to investigate like, you know, you have to sometimes give up your weekends and sometimes be bored right. to tears. They're like, I didn't know it was like this. And then you have to go home and then you have to, yeah. And then you have to double that time when you go home and watch all, watch and read and listen to all the content that you collected over that weekend. So, you know, everybody wants to be on these shows because they all think it's like glamour and glitz and you're going to mm -hmm. experience a ghost in every investigation. But at the end of the day, you know, it really 
is not that. And I think this show kind of took a little of it out of me and just made me realize that the ghost stories are more my route. As a storyteller, wow. I want to purport the legends, not debunk the legends. So yeah, well, for that you know reason, what? I, I decided. I tell everybody, I said, look, back in the 90s, by the time, even though there was like ghost hunters, the way we look at it now, that's not what it, um, it's not what it is now. But anyway, I say, by the time you got contacted, more than likely there was something going on. And I'll, and I to explain, back then when people had weird noises or so whatever was going on, they would investigate. They would try to figure it out. Like, is it an animal? Is it the plumbing? Is it the pipe? Uh, what is it? You know, they would really, you know, they were not thinking it's paranormal. Eventually, you know, it sometimes mm -hmm. turned out. I'd say now, fast forward 20 years, anybody hears something in the back room and the whole family runs out and sleeps in the car and nobody dares to investigate because they're sure that it's a ghost. Whereas back in the 90s, by the time they came to that conclusion, it was because they had ruled out everything else on their own and now they were pulling their hair out because none of those plausible... Right. Uh, regular things like, you know, sometimes uh, bad, you know, your electricity is going bad and maybe that's why your, you know, your bulbs flicker or, you know, stuff like that. Back right, then, absolutely. by the time you arrived, nine, you had, there was a very good chance that something was going on, even whether it was intelligent or residual. Um, versus now, it's like, you know, and now it's the other way around where you have to kind of disappoint them and say, uh no no there's nothing not really no <laughs> <laughs> you know oh you feel right. yeah things like that so uh that's that's yeah I, I totally understand my point being i totally understand where you're coming from as far as what you're mm -hmm. saying what the uh the ghost hunting or the paranormal research or whatever you want to call it um things of that nature and to be perfectly honest with you i'm a big fan of the ghost story as in sometimes everything doesn't have to be explained what's the origin who's the ghost or how it ends it's just it's just a story that's it right and take it as such and, and move on so right I'm... i don't i don't need i don't need a photograph i don't need a recording i don't you know it's just the story it's a good story it's a great story and like you said sometimes it's based on a story that we don't know how much fact is in it but it's a great story of you know, a supposed haunted house or a haunting or anything like that. Um, and I think that sometimes that's, unfortunately, when you see a lot of these shows that they have a gazillion million gadgets, it's like, oh, come on, stop it, stop it. Right. It's like <laughs> that kind of deal. But, you know, I think we, I, I think we've, we've passed the paranormal TV show, you know, heyday. I think yeah. there was that, you know, right when Ghost Hunters came out and then Paranormal yes. State and then Ghost Adventures, yes. you know, that was like 2004 to 2009. Everyone wanted a show. But I think we've seen a lull in that now. I mean, you flip mm -hmm. through stations and, you know, people aren't gravitating towards it like they used to. And I think that maybe hopefully that's because, you know, we're moving away from that, you know, needing to have the evidence for it. And maybe just being willing to accept, you know, a little bit of paranormal mystery. Right. in our lives that's enough to make that. i'll tell you this much i think that ghost hunters you know one of the first ones was ghost hunters and um and i think they kind of like did themselves a disservice because even though they were really good they debunked so too much and people were like hey when are you gonna <laughs> they, mm -hmm. they they never found you know and uh i noticed that in these later incarnations that they not the ghost hunters but the people that were in it the hosts 
they try to bend a little bit more as in they're more accepting that there could actually be a ghost because I right. think that it hurt them to always debunk everything. Um, right. Well, you watch this. I think you also watched in the beginning in the first season, they were trying to create a lot of drama too. Oh yeah. And I then know, I noticed I know. that they kind of dropped off with that drama for a little bit, probably because they were making a little bit more room for saying like, maybe this is a haunting, but um, right. I actually had a great idea for a ghost hunting show that, um, I tried to pitch around called Believer versus Skeptic. Okay. And my idea was it was like X-Files as a reality show. Mm-hmm. So there would be a Mulder and a Scully, you know, somebody who bases themselves in the science world and somebody who bases themselves a little bit more in the parascience world. And they would investigate not only ghosts, but legends, you know, folklore, haunted places, alien locations, that sort of thing. Okay. Um, and I remember so funny that you know i I submitted around and i actually got some interest from some uh tv shows like reality uh you know tv show networks but what cracked me up was the one common denominator was there wasn't a hook so like i was like well what do you mean they said well you know uh, i remember this one person was on the phone and he goes well you know you're i had done a uh a a sizzle reel, not a sizzle reel, but a teaser. And I showed mm-hmm. like a picture of myself. I did a video investigation with a friend of mine. We investigated a Bigfoot hunting uh, sighting in Florida or skunk okay. ape sighting. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, the friend of mine was a two, uh, she had two ma- uh, d- um, master degrees or two doctorate degrees, okay. one in biology and one in psychology. Okay. And then I myself was just a straight up investigator. And we went around, we investigated, we did a little sizzle thing and we sent it in. And at the end, you know, the, the TV show network was like, look, it's a great idea, but you're missing your hook. And I go, what do you mean? Go, well, you're two like, you know, pretty good looking, you know, people. But, you know, if you had been like, if your friend had just been who she was and you had been like a 50 year old former hell's angel biker who had had a brush with death and we're coming back at this with like a new set of eyes then you know then we'd have a tv show but because you're both just so kind of vanilla you know <laughs> it's how can we make a show around this so i realized pretty quickly too i was like well okay i guess the investigations aren't enough for you anymore now no. you've got to find these angles and these hooks and you know ghost hunters they had themselves as plumbers so that was their angle you know, right. they needed, you know, I wasn't going to wear a T-shirt that was three sizes too small for me, like Ghost Adventures. So, you know, that was the end of that. But I thought it was a cool idea for show. Believer versus Skeptic. We would call it BS for short. And uh, at the that end of the so episode, funny. we would figure out if we stamped it Believer or Skeptic. So. Let me ask you. Yeah. Because was- I live about, like you said Gainesville, I live about 20 miles south of Gainesville. Is that Bigfoot story anywhere oh, okay. in my area, in my neck of the woods? <laughs> no, this was more North Gainesville. So, uh, really? at a place called Devil's Mill Hopper. De- yeah, it's it? outside. It's on the north end of Gainesville. It's called the Devil's Mill Hopper. Really? So, it's a sinkhole that has a legend about a native maiden who was kidnapped by the devil, and the devil had fallen in love with her. So, he transformed himself into a beast and snuck into her village and kidnapped her. And uh, the native uh, warriors chased after him into the night. And just as they were about to catch him, Mm -hmm. he spun around and turned them all into stone. And then he sunk into the ground and took the native maiden with him. And that sunken area that he sank into is now this huge sinkhole. And that if you go to the bottom of the sinkhole, you'll find these rocks. 
that um, are trickling the Florida aquifer water into them, out of them. And they say those are the stones of the former brave warriors as they cry for their lost maiden. And that in the night, in moon, at midnight, it's a full moon, you can still hear her screams as she's dragged down into hell. And at the bottom of the Devil's Mill Hopper, you know, archaeologists and pioneers have found bones, likely from, you know, prehistoric tribes that have come through the area. Maybe that's where they buried their dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, it was on that road leading to the Devil's Mill Hopper that a friend of mine and I, back uh, in high school, had seen what I swear and what he swears, and he's not a believer of the paranormal at all, um, a Bigfoot or a skunk ape run right across the street, oh. um, right in front of us. Dark street, rural road, no lights, nothing. Mm-hmm. But as our headlights approached, you saw this thing running on two legs right across the road. And it wasn't a bear. It wasn't a, um, a deer. I've seen deer bound across a road. Yes. This was a bipedal figure that was running right across the length of the road. Um, oh. It almost looked like an NBA player wearing a giant gray fur coat. Uh, and I read later, I actually spoke with members of the BFRO, the Bigfoot Re- Research Organization, mm-hmm. and they adamantly claimed that Florida is actually one of the largest, you know, areas of Bigfoot sightings outside of California and Washington State. Right, because so, I was going to uh, say Pacific Northwest uh, is the one you always think of as the premier place for Bigfoot sightings. Right, right. Or Sasquatch. Well, Sasquatch. They call it up over there. But there's all sorts of Bigfoot different areas. Yeah, Sasquatch, Bigfoot, uh, the Green Man, yes. uh, you know, uh, uh, Skunk Ape is what it's known down in Florida. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, so that's, that's the one thing. I always tell people, I've never really seen a ghost, but I can tell you unabashedly that I have seen Bigfoot. Wow. And he's alive and well. <laughs> you got to come back on the show and tell me the Gainesville ghost stories because I know there's a lot of stuff out oh, here. So yeah. It's really funny because there's um about a month ago, I like all places, I went to a beauty salon because I moved in. <laughs> I moved up here like a year. Well, that's yeah, like less than a year was and uh, a beauty salon of all places. And we got, to, you know, I got talking to the ladies doing my hair and, you know, I tell her, yeah, because I used to do, she goes, you do? Hold on. Wait a minute. She runs back and gets the owner. <laughs> you know how that goes. Turns out she at one time she tried to be she tried to form a group but it never worked out. But she was telling me you know around here there's a lot of these small cemeteries, and um, I don't know if you're familiar with Macintosh, which is between. I know of Macintosh, yeah. Okay, she was telling me about the cemetery at Macintosh that it's got some weird stuff going on there, and uh, hmm. yeah, so yeah. I'm hoping. I, I, well, I'd know. love to come back on the show. We can talk about, about yes. Gainesville. We can talk about St. Augustine. Yes. yes. Uh, you know, we can talk more about the books then too. So yes. it's a, it's always a pleasure to talk with people about the paranormal, you know, especially those who are more in the know than the others. So yes, absolutely. I'm just so used to dealing with tourists who are like, so you ever seen a ghost before? What is a ghost? And then you have to walk them through the whole story of it, you know, but yeah, I'd love to come back. I'd be an honored. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Andre. And I want to wish you a lot of luck. I'll be getting in touch with you soon so we can set up. So we'll do the, 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 North, the North Central Florida, uh, you know, folklore, haunted ghost stuff. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff out here, believe me. Stuff that oh, I found yeah. out. There's a, there's a great legend. Have you ever heard the legend of Paley Bone? No. 
What oh, is that? Oh, then we'll have to talk about Kaylee. No, no, I'm sorry. You're gonna have to talk about it right now. Sorry, you can't do okay, that. You can't okay. do that. So we'll end it with the legend of Taylor Bone for your show. Yes, so, yes. The legend is there was an old, um, this is like based in the North Florida area, but there was an old cracker who used to live in the woods, mm-hmm. this old kind of hermit. And he lived in this little old cabin shack. And, uh, you know, he only relied on an occasional courier to come and deliver him some goods that he needed, but he lived there with his three dogs. And the legend goes that one night as he was cooking himself some dinner, he saw this unusual creature come through the planks in the broken parts of his cabin. This huge, almost like a weird skunk rat, you know, raccoon-like looking creature with this gnarly tail hanging from it that almost looked like an alligator tail. And uh, he didn't know what it was, but he threw his hatchet at it and cut the tail off of the creature. And the creature went screaming into the night. And, um, you know, he, he didn't know what to do. He didn't know where this creature went, but he saw this tail laying here and he needed some meat for his stew. So he cooked the meat up, put it in the stew, ate it. Well, that night as he's asleep in bed in the middle of the woods, he hears this haunting voice. Who's got my bone? And he saw this creature's eyes coming through that same, you know, crack in his uh, cabin. And he goes, I, I don't know. I don't have your Taylor bone. Nobody has your Taylor bone here. You better get, 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 get. And he sends his dogs after this thing. And the thing goes running with, and just runs into the woods. And so later his dogs return, but it's only two of them. One of them's disappeared, never came back. So he's lying in his bed. He's got his two dogs with him. And again, in the dead of night, he hears, Taylor bone. And he sees the creature in the eyes and it's getting closer to his bed. And he goes, I ain't got your tailor bone. I don't have your tailor bone. Get, 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 get. And sends the two dogs after him. The dogs go after him. Tailor bone creature goes running. And disappears. Later, one dog comes back. So the man's sitting there with his one dog and trembling with him. And then suddenly in the dead of the night, he hears, and he sees the creature is just feet away from his bed and he goes i got your daily bone now get 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 and the dog goes running after him never comes back so he's sitting there in bed and he's trembling he's you know what's going to happen it's just hours away from dawn and suddenly he hears in the dead of the night and then suddenly he sees the fingers of the creature kind of curl around the edge of his bed and the eyes peek up and he goes who's got my tailbone and the, the the old man is just horrified with fear he can't even say anything and then suddenly the little finger points at him and goes who has my tailbone attacks the man and the man goes screaming and that's it a few days later, that courier comes to deliver his goods to the uh, old man in his cabin, and the cabin is literally shredded apart. There's nothing left, not even a scrap of the man's clothing, and uh, no one ever knows what got it. But the courier said as he was leaving into the woods, he heard somebody in the distance say, I got my table.
Oh. And that was the story of Pizza Bones. That, you're such a fantastic, you're a superb storyteller. You know that, right? You must oh, get a lot of good tips on your tours. <laughs> you're great. You're fantastic, Andre. Thank well, you. Well, last time I told that story, yeah, no, last time I told that story was with my friends around a campfire on Cumberland Island, which is off the coast of Georgia. And uh, it's a fun little campground. But when you're on that ground, you're the only people because it's, it's an island. You can't get off the island once they leave you there. And I told that story to my friends and throughout the whole night, whenever we'd have to walk to the bathrooms, because the bathrooms are 30 yards away from our campground, uh-huh. there was tons of other people camping in the woods around us. But just for giggles, we would be like to each other, like just into the night. God knows what people were thinking. When yeah, they were I bet there was a lot of people like, how long can I hold this? I'm not getting off. <laughs> Right. I'm just going to hold my bladder. Yes, that's right. I'm going to. Andre, it has been wonderful to speak to you. I want to wish we you the We gave the toilets time. a break that night. So. <laughs> I know. Thank you so much. Take care, darling. Thank you so it's been much. wonderful. Bye-bye. You too. Happy Halloween. Likewise. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, wow. They see he's... I love those stories. I love it. I love it. That's what I mean. Those are the kind of stories that I like because it's like... You know, um, you can tell I'm a real sucker for stories, especially that type. You know what? And I agree with him. Um, you know, the um, when he was talking about when it comes to paranormal research and studies and all that. Don't, don't get me wrong. A lot of people say, "Well, Marlene, you know, you know." Um, yes, I know that in paranormal research, especially after the reality shows, when everybody was trying to like elbow the other person out of the way to get a show or to make, you know, stuff was made up. Let's call it what it is. Um, and the problem with that, as far as being accurate, is that the nature of the supernatural is that it's not an on-demand thing. Okay, it's not an on-demand thing. I'm gonna tell you something. Same thing, and I've said it before, even with psychics. You know, when you 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 know you hear of like uh, them being debunked, or way back when, with spiritualism was a big deal. That even Houdini was, you know, and some of these spiritualists, you know, they had this reputation. And I tell everybody, you know what? I bet you some of these psychics that were busted supposedly for being fraudulent, and maybe it's not that they weren't psychic; it's that you just cannot sometimes produce results especially like on whim um just because of the nature of what's what it is where let's say you know my psychic abilities it's what's paying my rent and sometimes it just there's times when you're you're there and then there's times when it doesn't and that's when people make things up so uh same thing with the nature of the supernatural the paranormal if you're investigating it uh, especially if you're trying to produce a show and you've got X amount of days and you better have something so that people go, ooh, you know, that's when a lot of things are, what's 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 the most appropriate word for this? Um, manufactured? I don't know. Exaggerated? I don't know. I don't know what to call it. But anyway, not entirely truthful. Uh, like I was telling him because of the, somebody like myself who's done this knows that nine times out of ten, you will go to places that sometimes might have something there, but you will go and it's just nothing's happening. Not even a weird feeling, okay? Not even a weird feeling. Um, it's, and you might go another day and 
it's everything from the moment you get off your vehicle it's like it's on it's on and you're like what and, and you ask yourself what is the difference between let's say one week and the next if you if you return what happened sometimes you never have an answer to that question why you know sometimes there's manifestations or feelings or whatever and then other times it's like oh there's nothing happening here it's like oh yawn um but yeah but um for all these that's what i'm saying the paranormal reality shows made paranormal more mainstream but at the same time so much gadgets they kind of the romantic romantic it was a romantic kind of pursuit um in the sense of when i say romantic i don't mean like as in love interest it was romanticized in the sense of everybody liked the good ghost stories and then you had people retelling how they had had experiences not because they were being a paranormal researcher just things would happen to them they would see things that they didn't expect and they would retell it uh things of that nature um and i want to say a lot of the attraction i think for us especially now in modern times is that we have too much technology and i think that the human soul always yearns for the for mystery for something that's not exactly totally explained and by this i don't think that we might want to be lied to but let me tell you something everybody that i'm you know just listening to a story you know uh whether it's true or not or exaggerated or um hey did you capture it that doesn't matter i think everybody yearns for that especially around this time of year halloween time so again guys i hope you like this show i love speaking to andre i'm going to bring him back because he's going to t let me know about a lot of places around here so i can go look i that's another thing i'm planning to go do some cemetery walks in this area um like i said you know when uh, I was in Miami, when you grow up in an area, you know every place to go to. Here, I'm basically a year later is when I've really finally gotten down to, what's the word for it? Everything being kind of in this place where I can actually schedule some, uh, how can I say, not trips, but you know, some investigations outside of in this general area. Um, and I, I would definitely got to talk to him because see, he can turn me on to local places that Nobody knows about, especially like that devil's, what was it? Pond hopper, mill hopper, devil's, I gotta look that up. See, I'm right now I'm fascinated with that. You have no idea. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for being part of my audience. Come back every week. I have a lot of fantastic uh, people coming on the show. New ones like Andre, repeat guests from before that you guys have told me that you wanted to have them come back. Um, you know, like I said, hopefully also I'm going to be doing some cemetery walks or maybe investigations um, out here. Let me see what uh, what I can come up with. You know, that's another thing you got to be careful also. Like when you go out to these places, you got to make sure you're not trespassing. You know, you don't want to get in trouble doing any of that. So I got to, what is it? You got to make sure your logistics are in order. And again, if you want to listen to any of the podcast versions of the shows, you go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com. There is a tab there for a for my non-ad. It's it's the I, I I go ahead and I save MP3 files of any of the shows, and of course those don't have any commercial interruptions. And yeah, I have a link there that will take you to that page, and you can search for any show in particular. And of course, the first ones at the top are the newest ones. You can listen to it on your browser. You can download the MP3 file. 
But again, I have links to the different podcast platforms where the show, you can hear the show, iHeart, I, um, Stitcher, Spreaker, Mixcloud, iTunes. I'm on all of those. You can find not only Stories of the Supernatural, but Nightshade Diary and Supernatural Storytime. And again, if you want to uh, also subscribe to my newsletter, by all means, go ahead and do so. And I will keep you updated with some funky stories of my own, some articles that I write along the way. Uh, because that's my bag, baby. I write. So again, take care. Probably by the time you hear this, I think Halloween might be over, but just in case, happy Halloween.